0: That first reading in Sirach, we heard, wrath and anger are hateful things, yet the sinner hugs them tight. It's important to understand that experiencing anger, that emotion or that feeling, is not always sinful. In fact, it is something that can be helpful, something that God has built into us, helpful to protect ourselves and others, helpful to motivate us to fight against injustice. But often, because of our fallen condition, anger does become sinful when it is not governed by reason can be misdirected disproportionate last too long and blind us And long-term resentment poisons our relationships and robs us of happiness we read in Ephesians be angry but do not sin do not let the Sun set on your anger It's kind of a 24-hour period to get your anger out and then start over, right? We also heard in that first reading, Forgive your neighbor's injustice, then when you pray, your own sins will be forgiven. What does this sound like? The Lord's Prayer, right? How did Christ instruct us to pray? We ask the Father to forgive us our debts, our sins, our trespasses, as we forgive those indebted to us. God is a forgiving God, and he wants his children to practice forgiveness. It's important to clarify what forgiveness is. Forgiveness is not excusing. Forgiveness is not justifying. It is to acknowledge a wrong was done and the responsibility of the wrongdoer. Forgiveness does not always mean reconciliation in the sense of reestablishing a close relationship. Forgiveness means renouncing vengeance and desiring the good of the offender. So Jesus tells a parable in which um, sin is represented as a debt. This is a common way that Jesus, that the Old Testament even refers to sin. Now there's a king and he's settling accounts. And the translation we say, have says that a, a debtor is is called, who owes the king a huge amount. Well, actually, in Matthew's Gospel, the sum is specified. It is 10,000 talents. Now, a talent was about 100 pounds. Without further specification, it would be of silver. It could also be of gold. So one talent would take a day laborer 20 years of work to earn. So what is, multiply that times 10,000, right? It's basically infinite. Okay, and so this servant begs for mercy, and the king has mercy and forgives the debt. But then he goes around, and he finds a fellow servant who owes him a much smaller amount, actually about four months of work. Actually, something that could be paid back. But this um, servant who had just received the forgiveness of his debt uh, has a hard heart and demands repayment of the debt from his fellow servant. And of course, when the king finds this out. The king is angry. Right? Now, comparing those two amounts, this is part of the reason I think maybe the parable doesn't have the effect it should on us. So, when I think of my sins, I don't think of my sins as being all that bad, you know, the, the 10,000 times 20 years of labor to pay them back. You know? But other people's sins against me, they're, they're really bad, right? And, but no, and it can be true though, it can be true in a sense that You've experienced a harm which is really grievous and is not comparable to to the sins that you've committed. Except that this, that because God is infinitely holy and good, right, our sins towards Him actually incur an infinite debt. Another reason the parable may not have the impact on us that it should is that we think that God forgiving our sins doesn't cost him anything, you know. It's as if God has an infinite amount of money, and so if we owe Him even a huge amount of money, He doesn't really cost Him; doesn't make Him worse off. Except when we really reflect on what it cost God to forgive our sins. What did it cost God to forgive our sins? Right? So, we know we're supposed to forgive. But it is hard. The power of our emotions seem to overwhelm our reason and will. We keep replaying the harm that is done to us and something new triggers us again. Uh, one of the things that's helpful is to simply um, pronounce forgiveness in Jesus' name. Pray even when you don't have those feelings yet all sorted out, you know. So you can say, for example, this isn't true for in my case, but you could say, in Jesus' name, I forgive my father for abandoning our family." And I ask you, God, to bless my Father. So even if your emotions aren't there yet, you can pray that way, and even pray it aloud. There's power in that, in the name of Jesus. There is a psychologist named Dr. Robert Enright who pioneered something called forgiveness therapy. And if you're struggling with um, something that's been very hard for you to forgive, I encourage you to, to read and work through his book called Forgiveness is a Choice. But he started out, he developed this, this uh, forgiveness therapy, which really involves, um, in a lot of ways, a reframing of everything. Everything that happened and what it means in a person's life. It involves getting to a point where someone uh, uh, realizes that the harm that's being done to them because of the resentment is, is so bad they want, and they just want to be done with that, right? So uh, what he did is he took... 12 survivors of incest. So this is one of the worst things that someone can suffer. And they were split into two groups. And one group received traditional psychotherapy, and one group received his forgiveness therapy. And at the end of of the treatment of both groups, the ones who went through his therapy did much, much better. So all of these... I think they were all women. All of them had entered into the study with high levels of depression and anxiety. And the ones who went through the forgiveness thera- therapy um, had huge improvements. Uh, none none uh, were, uh, no longer met the clinical definition of depression. Anxiety was greatly decreased and they had great hope about the future. Um, all were able to forgive their perpetrators. One visited her father's grave for the first time. Another visited her father in the hospital and helped with his care before he died. And as he states in his book, he says, no other treatment program for incest survivor has produced such positive results. And uh, Dr. Enright, I think he's a Catholic actually, even though his his method um, can be used by uh, by non-Catholics. So God calls us to forgive. It is a process and it is a grace. I just want to share with you a story of Thomas Dalswell, he was a black man. In 1986, he was convicted uh, for raping a white woman, and he spent 19 years in prison. Uh, but during this time, there was great advances in DNA tests, and so attorneys for the Innocent Project, Innocence Project petitioned the state to allow them to use samples that had been collected to see if um, these might exonerate Thomas. Uh, but the prosecutors resisted for years. They put up obstacles. And finally, when the DNA tests were done, they showed that he could not have committed the crime. So he had, was, he had been innocent of the crime. He spent 19 years in prison. So you might imagine that he was very bitter and upset over that whole thing. And you would be wrong, actually. Um, he decided early on in his incarceration that he was going to use that time in prison to make himself a better man. He earned a college degree, he learned to speak Spanish, and get this, he mastered seven musical instruments, including guitar, saxophone, flute, and drums. This is what he said. He said, having faith in Jesus taught me that I couldn't walk around for 20 years with anger bottled up in me. He forgave everyone who was involved, witnesses who had wrongly ID'd him, the uh, police officer that tainted the identification process, and the prosecutors who resisted the DNA test. See, people who forgive are truly free, no matter maybe what their external circumstances are, even if they're incarcerated. And Christ came so that we might experience the freedom of the sons and daughters of God.